Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. This is episode 21, and today we're going to be talking about the two covenants of Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis 21 and the end of Galatians 4. We're also going to talk about Hagar and what it looks like whenever we feel in control of our lives and how to persevere even whenever we're victims of our circumstances. Just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is lesson 12 of the Abraham study, and last week we talked about Lot and his two daughters and what happened to them after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we also talked about Abraham visiting the land of the Philistines and lying again about Sarah being his wife. And so if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen because we talked about how to react to fear and how really our job is just to do what we're supposed to do and trust God for the outcome. So if you remember, God had come to Abraham and Sarah and promised them a son. And then we got a little bit sidetracked because while she was pregnant, all of this happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we went to that story and talked a little bit about Lot. And now we're coming back to Abraham and his sons. So let's go ahead and start reading in Genesis 21. And we'll talk about the birth of Isaac and what happened to Ishmael after that. Now, we did read these first seven verses of chapter 21 whenever God came to Abraham and Sarah and promised them this son, but we're going to go ahead and read them again to refresh our memory and lead into the rest of this chapter. Beginning in verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who he had borne to him, whom Sarah had borne, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So this shows that God kept his promise and Sarah had a son at the exact time that he said that she would. And also Abraham kept his end of the bargain too because he circumcised Isaac on the eighth day just as God had told him to. So they were both faithful to their covenant. Now, let's look at verse 8 and see what happens after Isaac is born. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, scoffing. 
Therefore, she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of a bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Don't let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So we're going to stop right there and talk about this passage before we move on. Everything I've read says that they usually wean their children around the age of two or three. And so this would make Ishmael 16 or 17 years old. So he is not a child per se. He is Abraham's child, but he is not a child. He is a young man. It is sad that now that Sarah has her own son, she doesn't have any use for Ishmael. But we have to remember that Ishmael was their idea. It was not the son that God had intended for the promise to be sent through all along. And so whenever she says to cast them away, God tells him, yes, this is what needs to happen. Remember back in Genesis 17, whenever God told Abraham that he was going to have Isaac? At that time, Abraham was upset because he said, well, what about Ishmael then? And God told him, beginning in Genesis 17, 19, God says, No, Sarah, your wife shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So when God told Abraham about Isaac, Abraham was concerned for Ishmael, and God said, I will take care of Ishmael. I'll make him fruitful. I'll multiply him, and I'll give him twelve sons, and I'll make him a great nation. But... My promise comes through Isaac. He's the one that I intended all along. I intended to give you this land and bless you through a son that you would have with Sarah, not a son that you would have with someone else because you got impatient and decided to take matters into your own hands. So that's again what God tells him here, right? He says in chapter 12, Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he's yours. So it shows that God cares about Abraham and what Abraham cares about. And so even though this was not God's idea, God knows that Abraham loves him and God is still going to bless and take care of Ishmael because of Abraham. And so I just want for a second for us to put that on ourselves And remember that God does care about the things that we care about, even if they are not super important in the grand scheme of things. God loves us, and so He loves the things that we love. And so I want to look at a couple of verses that pertain to that. The first one is 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. So God cares about us, and we can give the things that we care about to him, and he will care about them also. That's what Abraham does. He gives his cares to God. He says, but wait, I care about Ishmael. What about Ishmael? And God says, since you care about it, I care about it too, and here's what I'm going to do. The second verse is in 
Romans 8, 27 and 28. It says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So whenever we are confused and we don't know why something is happening, we have to trust that God will work all the things together for our good if we love him and we're called according to his purpose, just as he did for Abraham. Now, the reason that Sarah states that she doesn't want Ishmael around anymore is because she says he is not to share in the inheritance with her son, Isaac. And honestly, that is the truth. First of all, the inheritance that God has for Isaac, Ishmael cannot inherit because it was promised to the son that God had intended for he and Sarah to have. And so that promised land will go to Isaac and Ishmael cannot inherit that land. But also, Isaac does not need to have to grow up in the shadow of Ishmael because he was always intended to be Abraham and Sarah's only son that would inherit all of the blessings that God had intended for Abraham. And so God explains that this really isn't wrong for Sarah to ask. And again, remember that Ishmael is a 16, 17-year-old young man. He's not a child. So before we move on in chapter 21, I'd like to go to Galatians 4, 21 and talk a little bit about the comparison between Ishmael and Isaac because this passage explains the difference between the two boys and this is, again, why I think it's so important to read the New and Old Testaments because if you just read the Old Testament, you're not going to get the full comprehension of these two boys. And if you just read the New Testament, you're going to have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And so it's always good when you read something in the Old Testament or in the New Testament to go and look elsewhere in the Bible so that we can get a full picture and that's the difference between just reading a passage and studying the Bible. So I'm just going to start reading this passage and stop now and then and discuss what they're talking about. This is Paul talking to the Galatian church, and apparently they are concerned about following every single command that was given before Jesus was born. And so Paul's explaining to them, well, this is what it says in the book of the laws. If you're so concerned about following the law, then you need to read every single word that's written about it. And so beginning in 21 of Galatians 4, it says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. The bondwoman is Hagar because, remember, she is a maidservant that they had gotten from the land of Egypt. And so what it's trying to say is that one of the sons was born to a slave woman and the other one was born to a free woman, who is Sarah. Verse 23, But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. So he said, it's symbolic that one of them was born of a slave woman because he was also born of the flesh. It was of Abraham and Sarah's idea. That's what he's saying, born of the flesh. It was the idea of a person. 
And the one that was born of the free woman, Sarah, that one was born of the promise, born not of the flesh, but of the spirit of God. And it says, this is symbolic. Verse 24 says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the Jerusalem, which is now and is in the bondage with her children. So Ishmael ends up settling in the Arabian desert, which is where Mount Sinai is. And that is also where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. And so it's continuing to draw this parallel between the slave woman's son and the law, being a slave to the law. And it says also corresponds to Jerusalem, where Solomon builds the temple, which is where they practice the law in the Old Testament. So it's just continuing to say, Hagar was a slave woman. She had a child and he symbolizes the slavery of sin, where the Ten Commandments were given, where the church is a slave to the laws that were given. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Verse 28, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. This is the Jerusalem that they talk about in Revelation 21, and I'll read a little bit of that to you right now. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there's no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now let's skip down to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And then it describes it a little bit further. You can read all about it in chapter 21, but I'm not going to read all of it. Let's go down to verse 22. It says, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles it or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So this is a Jerusalem that all those that inherit the promise will get to participate in when the new heaven and the new earth are created. 
And so what he's saying is that Hagar's son, Ishmael, he gets the laws of Moses and he gets the laws of the temple in Jerusalem. But Isaac inherits this new Jerusalem that comes from heaven. And if we are believers, we inherit the promise of eternal life with God, just as Isaac inherited the promise of Abraham and eventually eternal life. Now let's read the rest of this passage. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So here it's comparing us as children of Isaac to the children of Ishmael in a couple of different ways. Now, from what I understand, Muhammad believes he is a descendant of Ishmael and that Ishmael was the one that was supposed to inherit the promise. And so in that way, Ishmael's descendants are going to be persecuting Isaac's descendants, which are the Jews, the Christians, the believers, because they believe that they were supposed to receive the promise and the promised land all along. And then also all unbelievers persecute those that believe. So let's keep reading. Nevertheless, does the scripture say, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. What Paul's trying to tell them is, if you want to live by the law, then you're going to be a slave to the law. That's not what you want. You need to cast out the slavery of the law and be an heir to the throne of grace that comes through the promise of Jesus and was initiated through Isaac. So if we want to be heirs of the promise, then we have to cast this bondage of the law away because we can't inherit eternal life through that. We have a choice. We can either be a slave to the law or we can be freed by grace. So that's what he's trying to explain to him. And he uses Ishmael and Isaac to illustrate that point. So I want to read you a couple of verses that have to do with this. The first is a very famous verse, John 3, 16. You just want us to remember how it is that we inherit eternal life. We inherit this promise that's given to us says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6.23 illustrates this point of the law and grace, and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So if we want to live by the law, then we will get the wages of the law, and that is death. But if we want to inherit eternal life, then we must accept the gift that God has given us in Jesus. Titus 3, 5-7 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There it is. We become heirs whenever we accept Jesus as our Savior and don't try to get to heaven by our works, by obeying the law. 1 John 2.25 says, And this is the promise that He's promised us, eternal life. So that's the promise that we inherit If we are sons of Isaac, believers in what this word says, 
then we are inheriting the promise of eternal life. John 5, 11 says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. So if we cast out the law just as they cast out the slave woman's son, and we accept the promise, then we will inherit what the promised son got to inherit, which is the promised land of the new Jerusalem that God will give us eternally. We have an inheritance that's greater than anything that they can get through the law in their flesh. Okay, so let's move on in chapter 21 and talk about Hagar and Ishmael and what happens to them now that Sarah's wanting to send them away. Beginning in verse 14, it says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water in the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and cried. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness, and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So if you remember the first time that Hagar ran away whenever she found out that she was pregnant, she was heading straight back to Egypt. She left of her own accord, most likely without any provisions given to her, And she seemed to have complete focus. She knew exactly where she was going. And listen this time. It says in verse 14 that she wandered in the wilderness and then her water was used up. And so I just want us to think for a minute about the difference between whenever she ran away of her own free will and when she was sent away and it was out of her control. The first time when it was of her own decision, she was completely focused, heading back to Egypt, going back home to mom and dad, you know. And this time, whenever they sent her away and it was not her idea, she's just wandering around. No idea what to do. Where do I go? What do I do? I have no purpose. I have no hope. She just lost, right? And then she just tells her son, you know, sit down right here. I'm going to take a little walk. And she just sits down and cries. And she seems to think that they're just both going to die. Now, if you remember the first time when she did run away, God came to her and he told her that he saw her and he heard her. And he told her then that he would make her son into a great nation. Let's look back in chapter 16, verse 10. It says, The angel of the Lord said, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. So God told her then that he would make him into a great nation. But she's too upset to remember it now, right? She can't think of anything. She doesn't remember the promises. She doesn't remember that God heard her the last time, that God saw her the last time. You know, Ishmael's name means he hears. And she doesn't remember it. She's totally forgotten everything that happened previously. And she doesn't even bother to look for a solution to her problem, right? She just 
you know what? I have no hope wandering around. I have no sense of purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to sit down underneath this tree and die. That's basically what she's saying. She's completely lost hope. And so notice that God tells her that again, when he comes to her, he says, I have heard the voice of the lad. So just as he had heard her before, now he hears Ishmael. And so she should have remembered that God would hear and he would know what was going on and he would come to her. And then after that, look at verse 19. It says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the lad to drink. So do you think that her eyes were closed before? No wonder she's wondering, right? She can't see anything. That's not the case, right? Her eyes were open. She just wasn't paying attention. And do you think that the well of water wasn't there before, that God just made it appear? I mean, he obviously could. He can do miracles, whatever he so chooses. But I don't think that's what was happening. What was happening is God opened her eyes to see what was there all of the time. Because her eyes were open in the first place. They just weren't open to looking around a little bit. She wasn't seeing it because she wasn't even looking for a solution to her problem. All she wanted to do is sit down and give up. And so as soon as God came to her and opened her eyes where she could see the provision that he had for her and her son all along, then everything was fine, right? After that, it says she gave him a drink and then he grew and they lived in the wilderness and he became an archer and she got him a wife, right? Everything's fine. Funny what a difference in perspective can make, right? Because she was sitting there the whole time and just couldn't see her way out. So I just wonder if we're ever like this. If we're ever so discouraged that we forget the love that God has for us, that we forget that He sees and He hears and He cares, what is the difference between choosing something for ourselves and having it forced upon us? That is different, right? If we choose it, then we have a plan. We have a purpose. We have a focus. But when other people choose things for us, it does change our complete perspective, And then when we initially don't have any control over our situation, then sometimes we just continue in that mindset and we just give up. We become permanent victims in that case because she was a victim, right? She was a victim of her circumstances both times. Actually, all three times probably. She was given as a servant to Sarah by the Pharaoh of Egypt. I doubt that was her choice. And then she is given to Abraham for the purpose of having a son for him, actually for him and Sarah. I know that wasn't her choice. So she was a victim from that. And God told her, you know what? Go back anyway. I see you. I know what's happening. I've got this. I'll take care of you. Just go back. And so she did. And then this time again, right? Complete victim. She's done nothing, and all of a sudden, Sarah and Abraham are pushing them away. And so she was a victim, and that does happen to all of us at different times, I'm sure. You know, everyone has been the victim of their circumstances and things that are beyond their control. The problem is when we get a victim mentality, when we become permanent victims that are just spiraling deeper and deeper into our discouragement until we reach that complete helpless and hopeless state. That's not a situation we want to be in, right? When we're just so upset that we can't even see the answer right before our eyes. You know, she was a victim, but God still had provision for her. He still had a plan for her. 
He still had a way out for her and she couldn't even see it because she was so blinded by her victimization. She was so blinded by her helplessness that she couldn't even see it. And so whenever our discouragement leads us to being hopeless and helpless, then Satan has us exactly where he wants us. He wants us in that place where we feel like victims, where we can't do anything about it. We just have to sit around and just deal with our helplessness. You know, don't you think he had her exactly where he wanted her whenever it's just like, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to have to sit here and die. Got nothing left. Can't do anything about this. I mean, that's horrible, right? It's easy for us to be like, oh my goodness, just sit down and die. Really? Okay. But how many times have we been in a lesser situation and just completely given up? Hopefully not for too long, but sometimes we do that at least temporarily. The picture that I have in my mind is, you know, the person that can drown in a foot of water. Because what? Because they're so panicked that they don't even think to put their feet down and just see if they can feel the ground underneath them, you know? That's all she had to do. Just look around a little bit and you'll see some water. But she didn't even think about that. She's like, oh, oh, well, my water that they gave me ran out. I guess that's it. I'm done. You know, and that's where that saying comes from that you could drown in a foot of water because you're just flailing about thinking, oh, I'll never be able to reach that land. It's too far away. There's no way I can swim that far. And all the while you can touch the bottom. All you got to do is just stop panicking, put your feet down, touch walk up to the shore. But many times we just don't do that. We just give up. And so I need you to know today that if God still has you on this earth, then he still has a plan for you. And you may not always be in control of your situation, but you always have control over how you react to it. It should never be an option to become a permanent victim. That just places you in a state of defeat. And we are never defeated whenever we're God's children. He is a victor. And so he calls us to persevere in his strength, you know, if we just look to him. Thankfully, she didn't have to ask him. He heard the cries of her son. But what happens when we just look to God, you know, then he says, hey, there's some water right there. You're going to be fine. It's what happens when we lose our sense of direction, right? When we don't know where to go, then we look to God, ask him, where do I go? I'm wandering around aimlessly here. I'm completely lost. I need your help. Show me how I'm going to make this through. Give me strength. I want to read you a few verses. The first one is in Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this says that when we have tribulations and we have to persevere, then that produces character and then we have hope. The kind of hope that doesn't disappoint because we have God, because we have the Holy Spirit. God asks us to persevere. Romans 8, 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Hope for what you don't see. Right now you don't see a way out. Neither did Hagar, but God showed it to her. And then she was able to live and have a productive life. Eagerly wait for it with perseverance. God is our provider. He's made provision for you. Just wait for what you don't see until God reveals it to you. Go down to 37. This is what I was saying while ago. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is a conqueror and he makes us more than conquerors through him because he loves us. So we are not defeated. 
If we are His, if we are relying on Him, we are not defeated. We are conquerors. We can persevere. Look at Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Anything God asks me to do, I can do it whenever I rely on His strength and not my own. Hebrews 12.1-3 Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to have endurance to run the race that's been set before us. Keep going. James 5:11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. If you don't know the story of Job, you need to read it because he goes through horrendous things. But God's intended end far surpassed all that he dealt with. This is the last chapter of Job. Listen to this. Job 42, 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He blessed his latter days more than the first. So that was Job's intended end. So he says, blessed are the ones that endure, that make it to that end, that make it to the end that God has intended for them, that they get to receive when they persevere. And so I hope that this encourages you today not to be a permanent victim. Even if we do not choose our circumstances, we can choose how we react to them. We can choose whether we sit down under a tree and wait to die, whether we panic and drown in a foot of water, or whether we look to God and say, show me, open my eyes, reveal to me your provision for me, give me strength to persevere. So the Bible's full of lessons for us if we will just look for them. I love the stories of people because I get to see how they do it or don't do it in their own lives and it inspires me. And so I can think about Hagar and how helpless she must have felt and see that that's not a situation I want to be in. I do not want to be a permanent victim. And so, you know, sometimes we do just kind of sit down for a minute and we just have a little pity party and we get upset. And, you know, maybe that's okay for a time, but we cannot let it last long. We cannot dwell in it. We must persevere. We must endure. We must open our eyes, focus on the Lord, ask Him for guidance and strength, and we must make it out, right? We can't sit there like that forever. So I hope this has been encouraging to you. Next week, we're going to talk about the sacrifice of Isaac. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that. Also, make sure that you leave comments and reviews for me. That always helps me out. I'd also love to hear any comments that you have. If you don't want to leave them in the comment box wherever you're listening, you can send me an email. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Cast off the slavery of the law and take hold of the promise of Jesus. And don't give up. Persevere. Don't become a permanent victim. All right, that's all for today. Thanks and have a good week. Mm